Psalm chapter 51 and verse 12 will be our text this morning. And we're going to introduce to you a subject this morning that at this point, Lord willing, we're going to be preaching at least four messages on. And so this will be the first and what we might call the introductory message. And we're going to take the title from Psalm 51 and 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. The subject is the joy of salvation in the first part of that verse. This will be our subject as we said unless the Lord changes our mind for the next four messages. The joy of salvation. That is something that is very real. If you're a believer, you should know something about it. I remember as a young child, which I'm thankful being brought up in a Baptist church, that as little children we sang a little song, kind of like the one we sing sometimes here, Do Lord, Do Lord. Well, another one was, I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. And of course, as little children, when you're taught that, you don't know anything about it. You're just saying the words and singing the song. I am thankful today to be able to say that by the grace of God, I have learned exactly what that little song 50 plus 60 years ago means. And I didn't learn it yesterday. The Lord taught me a long time ago after he saved me. I've continued to learn that. And that's our subject about the joy of salvation. The joy that the believer has. And I will not hesitate to say right here, right now, and at the beginning, there is no greater joy to be had than that, than of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that because it's not possible. It's not accessible. It's unachievable anywhere outside of Christ. I cannot diminish the height of joy that is possible in Christ. I'm glad to be a participant in. I'm not going to tell you I'm at the top level trying to reach down and pull you up. I don't believe there is a top level in this life. I believe you just keep going up. And that's what we're going to try to be speaking about to you on this subject. Let me begin by putting it to you like this. These are the Psalms. We're reading in Psalms. Most and many of the Psalms were written by David. And when you read the Psalms, you cannot help to be impressed or overwhelmed by the joy that is set forth by David. I have said to you, and it is certainly true, the Psalms are an expression of the psalmist heart. And so we see that David, the man who is labeled a man after God's own heart, pouring out his heart in pen and page in the Psalms with joy, praise, and I will even say this, it is religious ecstasy if there is such a thing. It is not what a lot of people are participating in today and out of control stuff. David's joy and David's praise is very much in control, but it is on a high ecstatic spiritual level. And when I say that, and when you read that, I want to put a question to you. 
When you read the Psalms and you sense that, as we sometimes say, reading between the lines, you can tell that David is just ecstatic with joy and praise and adoration of his Lord. Do you read that with simply amazement? Do you read that simply bewildered at how an individual could be so caught up, so joyous, could feel such things and then pin them down for us? Do you read it and think, well, that was him, but it's not me, and that was attainable for him, but it's unattainable for me? Or can you read that and relate to it and feel it and how should I say be exactly in tune with his thoughts and with his expressions well I will confess unto you there are times I have read the Psalms and it's only the former I must only read in admiration of David because I don't feel what David felt However, over the years, I can say by the grace of God, the more I read it, the more I have been able to feel it. And that no more do I have to read. And I think this is true of every Christian as our spiritual development progresses that when you start out as a young convert or a young Christian and you're not knowledgeable of the Word of God, you read that and you say, wow, man, he... There was something going on with David and, and those things. I just I would like to be there. I'd like to get there. Well, you can't. And God has provided everything necessary for us. That's not something for us to look up to. It's put there as an example for us to seek to attain and participate in. The joy of salvation is what we're talking about. And so again, I confess that by God's grace, I can read that and it not be foreign to me. And I've been able to do that for many years to different degrees because it's a growing process. And I confess also it's wonderful. It's wonderful not to have to hear somebody else and wonder about it, but to hear it and know exactly what they're feeling, why they're feeling it, why they're saying the things that they're doing. And the reason that is so is because the same Holy Spirit in David that took him to such planes of praise and joy and ecstasy is the same Holy Spirit I have and you have. So don't think it's unattainable. That's the devil whispering in your ear. No, it is attainable. David may have been a prophet and you're not and I'm not, but that don't mean we don't have the Holy Spirit and can't reach the same planes we can. In fact, God would have us to. So our subject is the joy of salvation. Wonderful subject. No greater joy. And when you think about joy, period, or happiness in any regard, think about this. Because I want you to feel privileged. You should be. If you know anything of joy of salvation, you should be privileged. And you should praise God for it. And you should thank God for it because you are in a special place. You have special access, special means, special resources to that special joy. The joy that only those who are saved know. The world, mankind, has always been in pursuit of what? Give me one word. 
happiness or joy, right? I mean, look at human history, any level, any scale, pagan, religious, whoever, wherever, whatever, people have looked and pursued after things that they believe or thought would make them happy. And I believe Solomon, if he were here, would say, yes, I can give you the full story, which he does in Ecclesiastes on that, and I can tell you the vanity of this and where real joy lies, but most people can't do that because most do not have nor have experienced the joy of salvation. But do you realize what is philosophy? What is human philosophy all about? It's really centered around that subject, what will make you happy. I remember in history when we had to study, uh, you know, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And we were tested over what was the philosophy of each of these individuals, you know, and how did they differ. And some of it stuck in my head. You know, Socrates, big deal. Although they say lots of things, it's summed up in know thyself. Well, that's a great philosophy, and I've said it to you before. The only problem is a human can't do it in and of themselves and on their own. You can't know yourself. And the only reason I bring that up for fear of taking you astray on that thought process is this. There's one way you can know yourself. Read the Bible. Socrates' principle was good. He just didn't tell us how, how we were supposed to do it. You can't read books and learn about yourself. You can't ask somebody else and learn about yourself. But you can read the Word of God and God will tell you about yourself because He already knows everything there is to know about you and everybody else. Plato had a different one, Aristotle had a different one, but basically theirs and philosophers of all ages have been geared toward pursue things that make you happy, and one of them, I can't remember which one was, at all costs avoid everything that's painful, you know. Now, that's not going to make you happy. We have songs about being happy and how to be happy. and what The world will always pursue and seek after being happy and joyous. In other words, it's a universal pursuit. It's part of our fallenness is to try to be happy. And when you look at human history and the philosophies of the world, what people have done, what people are doing today, what do we see? A colossal failure to find happiness, joy, and peace. And if you've read your Bible very much, you understand that. Because there is a joy that the world can give. There is a form of joy that sin can give. But it does not even begin to compare with the joy of salvation. And it is very sad. For we who have experienced the joy of salvation, and again, by God's grace and grace alone, to see unhappy people outside of the church in pursuit of something that they cannot find except in God. And let me follow that by saying it's also sad to look within the church and see people who call themselves Christian and they seem deprived of the joy that's possible them sometimes as much as the people that are outside of the church. And I would simply quote James on that and say, he wasn't speaking of this subject, but brethren, it ought not be so. It ought not be so. The majority of people never will find 
and have not, human history proves it, any long-term enduring joy and happiness. Why is that? Well, it's not possible in a sin-cursed world. You know, if we were all still in the Garden of Eden and sin wasn't present, then, then that would be a successful pursuit by most people, wouldn't it? If not universal. But because of our fallen nature and living in a sin-cursed, ungodly world, you can look and search and dig and squirm and pursue and what have you and still come up empty when it comes to any degree of joy and happiness that is permanent, enduring, and that means anything that has any depth. It again is burdensome and grievous when we think of our own experience of trying to find such things in a lost state and when we see others trying to do the same thing today and truly as Solomon said it's all vanity real joy lies in salvation real joy lies in God real joy lies in Christ and we're not saying that people cannot find joy and cannot find happiness and cannot experience some you can everybody does to various degrees and in various forms and in various lengths and various terms and of happiness. But, but this is why famous people live and die unhappy lives. This is why rich people live and die in unhappiness. And Solomon, again, I would refer you there and we'll be saying more about him in some of the future messages. He gave us the lesson on that in Ecclesiastes about how that the world and the things of the world cannot give you ultimate happiness. They can provide some happiness, but they're not intended to provide ultimate happiness and joy. Solomon, in his pursuit, found out where real joy was. And it's our text, the joy of salvation. There's joy in those other things, but nothing to be compared with that which is in God and Christ and salvation. Now again, if you know what I'm saying, thank God for it. You're not better than anybody else to find that out, and you certainly are not smarter than anybody else to know that. But the Bible teaches us that. And we learn that by experience in the grace of God. That's how we know that. That's, how, that's the authority that I can say that today. I'm no expert on the subject except what God's Word has said. And I have found what God's Word said on this subject as well as every other subject to be true. My experience proves what God said. How about yours? But believers can experience ultimate joy. Joy that exceeds all other joys. And that's what... I want, to, I want to see that. I, I, if I could accomplish this, I'd make sure everybody had at least the joy that I've got. And if they can get more than that, have at it. You know what I mean? But, but it lies in salvation. But we can't hand it off. We can't give it, can we? We can only speak and preach and teach the means of how to have it and how to hold on to it. And that's what I seek to do in this. Your joy, even as a believer, is when you're first saved, undeveloped. Just like your faith. And joy, like faith, if you have it, there, it's always going to be there because the Holy Spirit is always going to be there. 
And it is meant to grow like your faith, but we know it can fluctuate. David in the text says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He wouldn't have said that if his joy had not fluctuated downward, would he? He's seeking restoration of where he once was, but where he is not now at. And if you're familiar with Psalm 51, we're told that it's believed that this, as the heading there in the psalm is, that this is when David was convicted of his sin through Nathan the prophet, literally through the words, Thou art the man, of his adulterous sin with Bathsheba and his murderous sin of Uriah. It is a beautiful psalm. Because it is a psalm all about repentance, restoration, and reconciliation. But because of that, because of sin, his pursuit and indulgence of sin, the joy of his salvation is not what it should be nor what it was. You don't read about it in this chapter like you do many other chapters, but here we find the petition and the request, Restore unto me the joy of salvation, that which had been lost. And I will say to you right here, there is literally you, I, no Christian has an excuse to be unhappy. There just isn't one. I understand we all have things that make us unhappy. I am not denying that. But in the overall scheme of things, Job had it when he said in all of his misery, the Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If anybody had it down pat, it was Job in that regard. So there's no excuse for us as Christians in that regard to be unhappy. If we're a Christian, we ought to have a smile on our face. And a tune in her heart as though, or a tune on her lips and something in her heart, you know, in that regard. Let me pursue this a little bit further here and show you exactly where I'm coming from and what my desire for you is if you hear me in these messages. If you indeed are a child of God, you are a recipient of salvation, of the grace of God. You know something of the grace of God. You have the indwelling of the Spirit of God in you, as we studied in Sunday school this morning. Therefore, the potential for your joy in salvation is unlimited. We use the expression sometimes, the sky's the limit. It's beyond the sky for the Christian, the joy you can have in salvation. You think, have I fallen off a turnip wagon this past week? No. My feeling is that that the Lord Jesus expressed in the Gospel of John. I'd ask you to turn there with me. To the 15th chapter and verse 11. These are our Lord's words. They were true of those to whom He spoke then, and they are true to every one of His disciples and believers of him since. Look at, look at it carefully with me. John's Gospel 15 and 11, after the vine and the branches. These things, in fact the vine and the branches we referenced in Sunday school this morning, these things have I spoken unto you that, and notice very carefully, my joy might remain 
in you and that your joy might be full. There it is. It's His. It's given to us. And there's no limit to how great it can be. But this was the Lord's desire. Did He not just express His desire for those whom He loved, died for and saved, that His joy would be in us and that that joy might be full, meaning perfect or reach its potential? That, by the way, is synonymous, and let me just put this in here and it won't cost you nothing, with being filled with the Spirit. Your joy can't be full if you're not filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit to any degree, then the proportion of that will be your joy. That's the bottom line. 16 and 24 of the Gospel of John. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Here in two successive chapters, Jesus has made reference to the joy that believers have, the joy of our subject that David talked about, the joy of salvation, and that it has the potential to be full or go into degrees and regions and areas just like we read about the psalmist, the ecstasy of that joy of salvation and of the Lord. Okay? Did that make an impression on you? I hope it did because that's the words of Jesus. And as it was true to them, do you think He wishes anything different for you? No, it's to us. It's to us also that His joy, His peace that resides in us by the Holy Spirit may abound, may grow, that as we say sometimes as the psalmist did, barring from him, our cups may overflow. And again, I'm talking about within. I'm not talking about cartwheels in the aisles. I'm talking about the cup of the heart running over. Turn over one more chapter with me to the intercessory prayer, John 17. Verse 13. And look again at these words and really think of this seriously. These are Jesus' words three times now about His then disciples and to us future disciples. 17 and 3. And now come I to thee and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus has referred to His joy being our joy and reaching to heights unknown, being full. Got it? One more time, if you'll allow me. Now the Apostle John, in 1 John 1 and 4, speaks in reference to these very words of which Christ spoke and of which He, by inspiration, recorded. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. 
And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So John's just carrying it in that letter what the Lord had already referenced and said in which he was a witness thereof. So just as this is the Lord's desire, this is my desire, and it is my desire from you, and it is my, it would be my desire for the human race if I could impart it unto them. All I can do to those that are lost is give them the gospel, which is the only means of this joy. Without Christ, they cannot have any joy that will amount to anything. To you, my hearers who are believers, I'm going to try to instruct you because I would like to see the membership of this church and any other believer that hears me preach this subject that their joy may just abound and overflow. And again, I do not speak as if I have arrived and am the authority. I'm still abounding too. I'm still going upward too. I thank God for it. I want to take you with me if I can. All right? David's request is restoration. We commented upon that a while ago. Restoration is almost synonymous with reconciliation because to be restored is to be reconciled and neither one of those two R's happen unless another R happens. Psalm 51 is a psalm all about David's repentance. David can desire reconciliation and restoration because David is repentant. Without repentant, there is no restoration. Without being repentant, there is no reconciliation. Either to a child of God who has sinned like David did, or to a sinner that is lost. You can't be reconciled unto God. You can't be restored to a place of favor with God. For God to find grace like He did upon Noah, upon you as a sinner, except you repent in that regard. So that's very obvious. That leads us to this point. Why did David need his joy restored? Why did he lose it? Well, we know. We address that. Sin. Sin is the great interrupter of fellowship of the believer with God. I don't have to go into detail. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know the story of David. And you know how sin took him just like a sidetrack off the railroad, brother. It, it took him, instead of on the course he was on and chugging along steadily, it took him off somewhere that he did not want to go. And, and man, it took him, didn't it? And it don't take long. I mean, it's faster. You can switch them tracks and you can be off course. And David got off course quick and he wasn't getting anywhere back close to course, was he? Sin, again, as we always say with the prodigal, it'll take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. David's an example and every sinner is the same. Whether they're lost or whether they're saved, sin breaks and interrupts fellowship with God. That's the whole problem anyway. Isaiah 59, your sins and iniquities have separated you and God. That's true of the universal uh, mankind, every sinner, it's also true of every believer. If fellowship is broken, sin's the one that does it. Sin is what does it. Therefore, sin is not only an interrupter, but sin is a robber. Sin and the consequences of sin had robbed David of his joy. But we can't just point a finger at sin because David was a willing participant in it. He made the choice. Going back to something you've heard me say, and I'm not contradicting it now, nobody can take your joy from you. You must consent 
for somebody to take it from you. If sin robs you of your joy, you consented to the sin. So don't just blame it on sin. You know the old Flip Wilson, I'll have to quit saying that someday, I'm getting so old nobody knows who Flip Wilson was anymore. But Flip Wilson's excuse, you remember, and it's an adequate deal. It shows humanity. The devil made me do it. Well, the devil, the devil may have tempted you, but you're the one that consented. You know, it'd be easy to blame it on Satan. When, uh, you know, again, I brought that up. I'll follow it up. That's the old blame game in Genesis 3, isn't it? Flip Wilson didn't come up with that. It was cute, and he got credit for it, but that goes back to Genesis 3. Bottom line, Satan wants you unhappy. Satan wants to take your joy. Satan wants to ruin you. Satan wants to sift you as wheat like we preached a few weeks ago. Satan hates happy Christians. Satan hates the Davids whose cup is overflowing at the joy, admiration, praise, and thanksgiving of their God. This is why Satan gives us plenty of material to read besides the Bible, why he gives us plenty of television, radio, and everything else in the world to distract us into things that will make us unhappy. They won't feed the soul. You know the 119th Psalms, all David writing about the Word of God. It's the longest psalm there is, and it's all about the Word of God and how much joy he gets from the Word of God. Satan wants you unhappy. Sin will make you unhappy. And sometimes we are accomplices in that process. David needed to be restored as we do sometimes because, again, Galatians 5.22, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, says that fruit of the Spirit is peace and joy. Telling us again, the only means of this joy of salvation is by and in and through the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. A person who has not the Holy Spirit can never experience the ultimate joy of salvation. It's impossible. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then that potential is there. Again, the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of you, the fruit of wealth, the fruit of popularity, the fruit of education, or the fruit of anything of you, but the fruit of the Spirit is peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is that prominent a factor, as indeed He is, in our joy of salvation, and in fact last week's message, the last thing I read to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and that chapter is about their joy of the Holy Spirit. So the joy I'm talking about, salvation, is the joy of the Holy Spirit. So if He is so important, we need to be very careful about our relationship with Him. Going back to Sunday school this morning. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, quench not the Spirit. To suppress the Spirit's work in your life is to suppress or hinder the potential for your joy. I mean, it's like wanting to be warm. If you put out the fire, you're not going to be warm. The fire is the source of the heat. The Holy Spirit is the source of your joy. 
If we quench Him, or as Ephesians 4.30 says, if we grieve Him, which again simply means not following Him, not yielding or surrendering to Him, not seeking His leadership, guidance, power, and presence, then we are grieving Him. And what are we doing? You're putting the lid on your joy pot. <laughs> it's not gonna it's not gonna boil over, it's not gonna run over if you put a lid on it. That's exactly what both of those things mean. Another thing we must bring into this too is joy doesn't come just by the Holy Spirit alone. The joy of salvation, like sanctification, and in fact joy of salvation is a part of our sanctification being more holy unto God, is a work not just of the Spirit, but the Spirit in the Word. I referenced the 119th Psalm a while ago. Remember, that whole psalm is about David and the Word, and the joy and the praise and the adoration and the meditation that the Word the relationship he had with God because of the Word. That's what I wanted to say. In fact, let me read one verse from that. I mean, it's teeming with verses. But I'm going to read the 162nd verse of Psalms 119. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Now to rejoice we know is a form of, a synonymous with, and infers joy. So David is saying, I have great joy at thy word, just like somebody who's found a treasure, a spoil. So it is the spirit and the word by which we have Great joy. In fact, there's a verse that I have picked out that I think really drives this point home. It's in Jeremiah 15 and 16. It is personal, it is literal, and it is something we can relate to. Now again, don't think, okay, Jeremiah was a prophet, that was just him, this can't be me. Okay? The devil wants you to think that. That's one way he will seek to make you unhappy and not reach your potential of joy. Jeremiah 15 and 16. If you don't turn there, listen, listen very carefully. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The joy of the Holy Spirit is the joy of the Word. The joy of the Word is the joy of the Holy Spirit. The joy you have in your salvation is by the Holy Spirit and by the Word. Not by one alone, but by both conjunctively. Is that a word, conjunctively? I hope it is. You know what I mean. Together. If it's not, I just made a good word. Think about it. Thy words were found. You don't have to go looking for them. You've got them in your lap. It's our reading, partaking, and meditating. I did eat them. You know, that, that's spiritual food. That's, that's spiritual chewing, spiritual meditation, spiritual digestion of the meaning. And what does it cause? What's the effect? It was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Right in here. 
That's what, desire, that's what caused David to say and what causes us to say and feel and express, my cup runneth over. That's a wonderful place to be. So the Word of God gives us literally the knowledge of the things that produce joy. In other words, the little baby that was born this week, none of you all could rejoice in that until I told you the baby had been born. Right? It's like so many things in life. Without the knowledge of it, you can't rejoice in it. You don't know it. Same thing with that. This is what the Bible means. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? Get in there and learn about it. And when you do, your joy can be full. And we have all, ever since our conversion, been learning about the riches of God's grace. About the eternal plan of redemption. And we're not going to exhaust it. If we could exhaust it, we could have set a limit on joy, but we can't exhaust it. So there's no limit on joy. So through the Spirit and through the Word, let me make this point and then I'll set the stage for the future messages and we'll close. I said earlier, our joy is forfeited but never taken from us without our consent. The basis for that again is John's Gospel and it's in chapter 16 again, a couple of verses above the verse we read at verse 24, this time verse 22. Jesus says, John 16, 22, And now ye therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Again, the devil and all the demons of hell cannot take away your joy unless, or mine, unless we are willing to, participants or consenting thereunto. You say, that's a big statement. Yeah, it's a big statement. The Bible makes lots of them. And the one I just made is based on one in the Bible. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is no greater power than that which is in us as believers. Therefore, there's no greater potential. So, yeah, we can lose our joy. Yeah, our joy can diminish, but whose fault is it besides our own? Have we been yielded to the Spirit in prayer? Have we been diligent in study of the Word that will cause our hearts to rejoice and our lamps to burn bright? It always comes back to us. In the messages ahead, I want to try, by God's grace and you pray for me, to identify what I have categorized as the three types or sources of joy. And I believe all joy can be lumped into these three, and this is what we'll pursue, Lord willing. We'll start at the bottom and go to the top, but the first one will be pride-based joy. The second will be senses-based joy. And the third will be the divine or Holy Spirit-based joy. Only the last one is the true, lasting, enduring, and ultimate joy. As believers, if you're a believer today, you've experienced all three of those. 
Think about it. Pride-based, senses-based, and Holy Spirit-based. Unbelievers will only experience the bottom two. They don't have the Spirit of God. They can't have the ultimate. As believers, we experience those former two, but when we came into the divine joy that the Holy Spirit produces, we now despise pride-based joy. And we can relish senses-based joy better than we ever could when we were lost. So we'll be looking at those in various degrees, capacities, and as they overlap in both unbelievers and believers, Lord willing. But let's conclude today with this thought again, going right back to the beginning. The joy of salvation that David desired to be restored comes only by and through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll take you back to that first scripture in John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 11. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy, okay? That tells us of the origin and the source. It's in Christ. Now, do you think you can fathom well, and I'm not talking about when, when Christ was here on the earth. I, I've said this. I've got to make this point so nobody will misunderstand. You all probably understand me. Somebody may hear me that may misunderstand. There are those who claim that Jesus was just the happiest person you'd ever want to meet if you'd have met him when he was here upon the earth. The Bible and the Gospels do not present him as being, I'm not saying he was unhappy by any means. But I am saying he was very sober, very diligent, and very serious about what he was here to do. In other words, his life and his personality was not about fun and games. He came to do the will of the Father. And he did it every moment of every day of his existence on this earth. Very diligent. That doesn't mean he didn't have inward joy. And in fact, he did. His inward joy was based on one thing, what you and I should be, to do the will of the Father. He was overflowing with joy within because he was consumed with being obedient to the Father. But he wasn't turning cartwheels without. And he had joy because he said, My joy, I want you to have it. And I not only want you to have it, its presence I want it to be to the fullest. Okay? So we recognize this joy of salvation goes right to Christ. And literally, that relationship He had with the Father, the joy that He had with the Father had to be based upon the love that He had with the Father. And he talked about that in John 17. Well, again, the joy that you and I have is based on a love relationship with the Lord loving us. If he hadn't loved us, he wouldn't have died for us. If he hadn't loved us, he wouldn't want us to have his joy to the fullest. That's the joy of salvation. So it's all of grace. The joy of salvation is based on Christ and his finished work of redemption. My joy. Remain in you. Bottom line, last thing I've got to say, there is no joy that's worthwhile of any significance outside of Christ. So today, if you know anything at all, and you do if you're a saved believer today, 
something of the joy of salvation, and it is it it's various degrees. I mean, right down to the bottom line, probably you're happy because you're not going to hell if you're saved today, aren't you? I mean, that's a pretty happy thought. That's pretty good joy. I'm not going to hell. I'm happy because Jesus loved me. I'm happy because God elected me. And we could go on and on and on. And what is all that? Nothing but the knowledge the Word of God gives us that makes us joyful because it teaches us about our salvation, right? Wonderful. This will be our subject you pray for us and examine your own heart about the joy of salvation that we may live joyous lives. I read it to you this morning when we opened the service. Hannah mentioned it in that prayer. 1 Samuel 2 and 1. The joy of salvation. It's throughout the Bible even though the words may not be there. You may have to read between the words. But also... If you feel like today as a believer, somebody here here or there, or future, now or then, you've lost the joy of your salvation. Isn't it wonderful that we can be restored? He will not cast us off. He will never leave us or forsake us. If we repent, we can be restored, we can be reconciled, and you can have the former joy. May that be our desire, all of us.